You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This past weekend, we recorded the entire In Christ Discipleship class for the Bride Ministries Institute, which... I'm very happy about. We are building something, folks. It's called the Bride Ministries Institute, and it can be found at www.bridemovement.com. The Bride Ministries Institute is our platform through which we are launching our Bible school, our Bible education platform. And in it, we will release the DID coaching school over time. That's the platform that we're using to basically uh, establish foundational education and, and release people into higher levels of ministry, spiritual warfare, and provide, uh, well, interest-specific information in different areas and uh, allow people to decide, pick and choose what they want to learn about. As you sign up for the different courses we are releasing to that platform, there our uh, notes built right into the platform that we have interfaced with our website and even quizzes that you are able to take as you work your way through this information. And the beauty is, as you uh, purchase classes through the Bride Ministries Institute, you are sowing into this ministry and future works, efforts, and endeavors that we have planned. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited. This is going to be the second class that we are offering. In addition to the Introduction to Spiritual Warfare, next month we'll be adding another class. And our goal is to actually add one class a month throughout the 2018 year and build that platform out. So with that said, uh, that is now available. I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't ha- hung out with us at the Fireplace Church, you know we meet every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And you can go by just visiting bridemovement.com, going to the Fireplace Church tab and clicking join at 7 p.m. or 6.55, you know, sometime around there. We've just been having a great time. As a matter of fact, today's podcast is going to be based on something I had spoken at the Fireplace Church during a season where we were not actually recording anything that was being said at the Fireplace Church. There were a couple months there after we had transitioned from the old format where we didn't record. We just had wonderful meetings and I uh, I, I decided to use that for this week's podcast because I didn't have something else. So anyway, we, we talk about some really cool things in the Fireplace Church and of course, for those of you that are financial supporters, we have made a way for the Fireplace Church archives to be available to you as a thank you. So the uh, at least as far as the podcasts beginning at the outset of this year, uh, they're all in an archive that are available to our financial supporters that have given $100 or more. And so I am just really grateful to you that continue to sow into this organization and help us to expand all of our outreach efforts and our offerings and equipping tools, so on and so forth. Uh, guys, we have some super cool plans for Bride. I, I, I don't want to talk about it at this point because there are some things, you know, you, you release and vision and there are other things you hold close to the chest until 
the, the time of release has come. Uh, if you didn't know, we have plenty of witches that listen to this podcast to do witchcraft against us to try to stop whatever they get their hands on. So, you know, we are a little strategic and, uh, you know, wise as serpents and gentle as doves. <laughs> anyway, I uh, have one more thing to say. The book Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth is available. Uh, many of you have either pre-ordered or ordered it. We're shipping as the orders come in at this point. We have the books. And <clears throat> some of you have asked about ebooks. Are ebooks going to be available? And the answer is yes, we will make the ebook available May 1st. With that said, we're going to get to the program. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. I'm sitting here and folks, I'm going to be honest, I had no plan for this week's podcast. I actually had no idea what I was going to do and uh, I didn't have a guest. I've just been going in so many directions and I was having a brief conversation with my lovely wife and brainstorming a little bit and suddenly I had this, you know, revelation that she agreed with. There was a window of time going back to the end of 2017, where we had transitioned in how we were doing the Fireplace Church. And we had stopped doing live product, uh, the, the, the produced version of the church, but we had not started recording live Fireplace Church meetings. There were actually a lot of things that I said and taught that there is no evidence I said and taught. And it's unfortunate because the people that were there had a good time. But you know, I, I I was kind of in this place where I was thinking, yeah, you know, I want to punish everybody that doesn't show up at church. And so I'm just not going to record it. And I'm going to say really cool things. And then people are going to talk about it and say, well, you should have been there. Why? Because you weren't there and there's no recording and there's no way you'll ever hear it. And that gave me some satisfaction. And then later I felt bad. But, you know, we started recording and yet this window was a time period where I actually said a lot of really cool things, in my opinion. One of which was this study that I had done on gold and value and interfacing realms. And I had the notes for it laying on my computer, but since I never recorded it or did anything else but, you know, deliver this to the people that had shown up this particular day, I said, you know, maybe I should do that. And she was like, oh, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, do it, you know, give them the the the, the walkthrough. And so, Folks, that, that's that's where we're going today. We're, we're going to talk about gold value and interfacing realms. This was inspired by Ruthie Andrews, who came on my podcast months ago to talk about gold and chaos theory. It was a really cool podcast. And she talked about how she had begun using gold in prayer as a uh, spiritual weapon and a resource. And she gave a prayer, which we later published to the bridemovement.com website with her permission. And we had many people... G- Find that prayer, come back to us and say it worked. You know, this, this is a real thing. I've been using gold in my prayers ever since. And I was challenged to investigate gold as a study. And what I found was fascinating. And when I began to be prompted to look into this, I started off at a passage that I quoted often, but hadn't taken much time in recent days to look 
at more closely. And, and, and it's a passage where God says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. And I love to use that passage when I'm praying for financial breakthrough and things because it seems to fit. And so I started looking at it. I found it in Haggai chapter two. I'm sure you knew where it was. And um, I found that as I looked at it, it was like, oh, this is this is actually really interesting because it's set in a conversation that God is having about the temple. And so I was challenged to back up to the beginning and to be to, to start where the conversation starts and see how God winds up claiming the silver and the gold as his in the midst of a conversation on the temple. And I'll tell you, this thing got real cool real fast. So beginning in Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 and 2, this is what we find. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying. Now, pause there. It's very important for us to understand who is being addressed. Joshua and Zerubbabel were the two witnesses of the book of Zechariah being in their generation types and shadows of the two witnesses found in the book of Revelation chapter 11. They represent governmental influence and religious or spiritual influence. Um, in Zechariah 4, 1 through 3, we find the initial component of the conversation that happens around them, where Zechariah is um, taken by an angel. It says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. Uh, must have been a new ager there, huh? <laughs> to all my haters. Anyway, <clears throat> and he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. Now, this is a beautiful vision where you see the two olive trees. And in verse 11, there's some more uh, conversation on who the olive trees and olive branches are. It says, Then I answered and said to him, the angel, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drinks? Then he answered and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. So it's really cool, right? You have uh, Joshua, the high priest, represented by one olive tree, and Zerubbabel, the governor, uh, represented by the other olive tree. And there's actually anointing coming through them. And it comes into this uh, you know, golden pipe, and uh, it, it goes into these, this lamp. It's actually a big menorah. That's the whole picture. As a matter of fact, this menorah language is repeated in Revelation 11, 3 through 6, only slightly different because there are two lampstands instead of one. At the end of the day, what we have is a, a situation where the two witnesses of that day and age are being addressed. And then... Haggai continues and says, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? 
And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while. I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake the nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations and i will fill this temple with glory says the lord of hosts the silver is mine and the gold is mine says the lord of hosts the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than that of the former says the lord of hosts and in this place i will give peace says the lord of hosts now this passage is is the location of two uh, quotes that i love to stick in my prayers one the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And two, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than that of the former. But in the whole of the conversation, we see that God is addressing these two witnesses who in the spirit have a golden oil pouring through them. And, and and God is also addressing all the people of the land, saying, I'm with you. And he is talking about bringing the glory back to the temple. Okay, so what does that have to do with gold value and interfacing realms? In this passage, God declares that the silver is his and the gold is his, referencing the silver and gold of the temple. Huh. The gold and the silver of the temple he was claiming as his. Now, this is because all of the gold and the silver in the temple was dedicated to him. Therefore, it was his. And this begins this, this journey into gold value and interfacing realms. It just is absolutely uh, <laughs> ridiculous, right? We have the ability to dedicate things in the earth. There is a real principle behind dedication. In, in most Christian churches, we don't practice infant baptism. Now, Lutherans do that. Catholics do that. But a majority of evangelistic Christians, and certainly the groups that I uh, am in, we baptize by full immersion in water and we do that with people that have, you know, taken a step of faith to say, Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, and I am doing this in response uh, to the commandment to be baptized. So anyway, what we do do, though, is infant dedication, where we take our children and we dedicate the child to God. There's something very real about that. People sometimes will dedicate buildings uh, churches are dedicated to the work of God, say, in a city. But you also have buildings dedicated to other things and other gods. People will build a temple to a god uh, in India and dedicate the temple to that god. Uh, people will dedicate things to different causes that are not in alignment with Christian moral values, and so on and so forth. 
But there is an inherent ability to dedicate that we as people need to understand. There's, there's, there's powers, real spiritual principles behind this. And we have the ability to dedicate what God has leased to us. Okay, and we're going to talk about leasing because... The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So what is in the earth is within the power of men to dedicate either to him, the one who actually owns it, but has leased it, or to other things. Because he's given us that operational parameter. And we can dedicate things to Satan and to the powers of darkness, even though God owns the earth. Okay, so we're going to talk about some scriptures in a minute. One, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So so there's no question who owns the, the planet. Does Satan own planet earth? Some people believe that Satan owns planet Earth. They have not read Psalm 24.1. The answer is no. Satan doesn't own it. God owns Earth, but he leased it. Um, Psalm 89.11 says, The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all its fullness, you have founded them. Again, ownership is in the court of, of God most high. But... Psalm 115.16 says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. In other words, God owns it, but he has given it to the children of men in a type of lease. He says, you know, now I'm giving you dominion in the earth. And this uh, giving of the earth actually is still in place even after Adam sins. As some people think that uh, the devil owned the earth after Adam sinned, and that's completely against scripture. It's not true. God still owns the earth in Psalm 24, 1 and Psalm 89, 11, And God has given the earth to the children of men in Psalm 115, 16. All passages occurring way after Adam's sin. So there's your context for understanding that the earth is, you know, within the influential parameters of man in this age. And so as, as people, we can dedicate things in the earth and and God will honor that. So God was saying, the gold is mine and the silver is mine of this temple because all of the temple gold and silver had been dedicated to God. The gold in the temple in being dedicated was actually being brought into alignment with a heavenly counterpart or pattern. Dedication establishes interface between heaven and earth and brings things in the earth under the government of God. So when you dedicate a church building to the work of the Lord in the city, you are bringing that you know, construct under the government of God. And, and so they took all of this valuable gold and silver and they dedicated all of that in the temple to God. And so they were establishing an interface between heaven and earth. Think, think about the power of that. We're talking about gold. We're talking about value. We're talking about interface. And I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, we, we don't get it. Okay. So as God is talking in this passage, he says, who is left among you who saw this temple in his former glory? And it goes on and says, I'm going to shake heaven and earth. 
I'm going to shake all nations, and I'm going to fill this temple with glory. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than that of the former. Now, what latter temple here is God talking about? What kind of future temple would be filled with the glory of God? And what we have to realize is that in speaking of a future temple, God is actually referencing the body of Christ. Now, someone say, oh, but aren't they going to build another temple in Jerusalem? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, they've been talking about it for a long time. But if that works out and you go along with certain versions of uh, Bible prophecy, that that's being built for Antichrist. He's going to sit there. So... <laughs> When we're talking about the temple that's going to be filled with a, a, a glory of God in the latter days, uh, we are talking about something that is profoundly maybe different than some of the ways that we've been trained to think. See, when we look at this future temple, the latter temple, as the body of Christ, we begin to make some profound found connections not saying that this excludes a reality in which a temple is built in the middle east okay first corinthians 6 19 through 20 says or do you not know that your body is the temple of the holy spirit anybody that argues that a latter temple in reference to god's word isn't properly understood as the body of Christ is is ill-informed. I mean, this is literally what the Bible teaches. We become the temple as the children of God. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a high price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Oh, whoa. Now, Here's something that we need to also look at regarding the temple setting. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23 to 24, we learn about the tent of meeting, which was a precursor to the uh, temple that Solomon built. It says in Hebrews 9, 23 through 24, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. See, In building the tent of meeting, they created a copy of heavenly things. So in earth, there we are able to establish copies of heavenly things as we get the downloads of the blueprints. This has been done before. It could be done again. And the tent of meeting was a type of temple where God would dwell with man. And so the blueprint for the uh, temple or the, the tent of meeting came from heaven, which is the location of the same blueprint for our temple individually and also the temple of the body of Christ corporately. There's this exchange where God is trying to establish something in accordance with the heavenly blueprint. 
Ephesians 2, verse 20 through 22 says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. See, it's not already what it will be. God is still growing this building that is comprised of us individually, but it is a corporate structure. In verse 22, it says, In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In other words, God is trying to bring the temple of the body of Christ into interface with his blueprint in the heavens. Whoa! 1 Corinthians three sixteen through 17 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So, we are the temple of God in the earth, and there is a latter temple that is prophesied about that will be greater than the former. But the former temple had certain functionality. As a matter of fact, it had certain characteristics and certain things that serve as copies of uh, things that can be brought into manifestation in this age, just on a bigger scale. And I want you guys to think about this, okay? The Temple of Solomon was overlaid with gold. What are we talking about? Gold, value, and interfacing realms. See, we as the body of Christ are a realm in the spirit as a temple. And we are to interface with the heavenly blueprint. It's interfacing realms. Okay. Uh, dedication is made possible <laughs> by biblical parameters because God is the owner of the earth, but he has given it to the children of men. And as those who have been given it, we have the ability to dedicate things. We can dedicate things to God. We can dedicate things to Satan. He'll honor that. You know, he doesn't necessarily want us to dedicate things to Satan and evil powers, but he'll honor it. Well, God said the gold, silver is mine and the gold is mine because it had been dedicated to him. Now, when we look at the temple of Solomon, the gold in it all of which was dedicated to God, was also used to coat the entire thing. It looked like a big, shiny, golden building. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, some of you may be familiar with a specific building. It's called the Sri Param Golden Temple in India. Sri Param Golden Temple. The, the entire temple is layered with gold leaf. You can download pictures of it on the internet. Israel had done something similar where they overlaid the entire temple with gold and it was very shiny. <laughs> and so it says this in the book of 1 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold. Now, this is the former temple, but, but the latter temple will be greater than that of the former, the glory, right? <laughs> okay. But this one was overlaid with gold. He overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid the altar of cedar. So Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. He stretched gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. The whole temple he overlaid with gold, verse 22. Until he had finished all the temple, also he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. Inside the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each ten cubits high. One wing of the cherub was five cubits. The 
other wing of the cherub, five cubits, 10 cubits from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other. Uh, it goes on, verse 28. Also, he overlaid the cherubim with gold, verse 29. Then he carved all the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and outer sanctuaries, with carved figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. And the floor of the temple he overlaid with gold. Are you kidding me? He put gold on the floor. The Bible says in verse uh 32. The two doors were of olive wood, and he carved on them figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and overlaid them with gold, and he spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. Verse um, 35 says, Then he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers on them, and overlaid them with gold, and applied evenly on the carved work. So, we, we think about this, right? Okay. The Old Testament contains types and shadows of things that are revealed in Christ in the New Testament. As the body of Christ, we are revealed also in Christ. And God is saying he's going to bring the glory of the latter temple to a place greater than that of the former. As a matter of fact, in John 17, Jesus says, And the glory, Father, which you have given me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. And what are we building built into? One single structure. Okay, there's a message on unity. A temple in which the Spirit of God will dwell. Now, the former temple in Solomon's day was completely overlaid in gold. All right, I'm going somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm just traveling. So, you know, just travel with me. First Kings chapter 7, verse 48 through 51 says this. It says, Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, the table of gold, on which was the showbread, the lampstands of pure gold, five on the right side, five on the left side, the front of the sanctuary, with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold, the basins, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, the censers of pure gold, and the hinges of gold, both for the doors in the inner room, the most holy place, and for the doors of the main hall of the temple. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished and Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated the silver and the gold and the furnishings he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord so there was silver and gold that had been dedicated by David to God to be put in the temple before the temple was even built some of this silver and gold was plundered from enemy kingdoms. <laughs> oh man, we're going to get to plunder in a minute here, guys. Y'all have not heard about the agenda to plunder. Oh, <laughs> now I'm preaching. God has an agenda to plunder the kingdom of darkness and to store up that which has been dedicated to him in the treasuries of his house. But who's his house? Okay. <clears throat> Once the temple was completely overlaid with gold, I want you to listen to me. It unlocked something in the spirit realm. Even though its pattern wasn't in alignment with heaven in the way the tent of meeting was, and this is a whole other conversation, but... Solomon didn't get the blueprint for the first temple from God the way Moses got the blueprint for the tent of meeting from God. Even though that is a historical fact, uh, the act of overlaying the temple with gold 
caused the wealth of the world to shift. Once this was done, everything went another direction. Instead of Israel being beneath and not above, in slavery and not prosperity, the the debtors and not the lenders, Israel came to the forefront of cultural influence in the earth. (laughs) Here's a message. As the body of Christ is overlaid with heavenly gold, it will trigger similar shifts. I said it. Oh, Daniel, that's some dangerous territory. Sounds like power. Sounds like hope. Sounds like faith. Sounds like yes, it is. (laughs) Get over it. Okay. The weight of the gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governor's of the country. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. This guy had so much gold coming to him after the temple was overlaid with gold. He didn't know what to do with it. He made shields out of it. It says 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with gold. Ivory overlaid with gold. What kind of abundance is that? Ivory is beautiful. The throne had six steps and the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side and of the place of the seat and two lions stood beside the armrest. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. I want you guys that are listening to me to understand something here. Solomon had at this point tapped into the blessing. God told Abraham, with blessing, I will bless you. When God gave the law, And the promises in Deuteronomy, he says, if you will obey me, you will be blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. You will be the head and not the tail. This was interface with the kingdom of God through covenant reflected in the Old Testament. Some people think the kingdom of God isn't going to come until Jesus returns. Baloney. Jesus, in talking to the Pharisees in the New Testament, told them the kingdom of God will be taken from you. Meaning that if it was going to be taken from the Pharisees, it had to already have interface points with earth prior to the days that Jesus came to manifest before he died. Where was the kingdom then? God had opened up a way for interface with his kingdom, his realm, his dominion, his glorious heavenlies to ancient Israel and it was done through covenant but that covenant had stipulations that had to be kept by the physical people of the nation but in the new covenant 
We again have an access to the kingdom of God, but instead of stipulations based on what we can do, who we are, and what we've done in the past, it's based on Jesus, his character, and the fact that he is a propitiation for our sins. He's the surety. He's our sponsor. He's the mediator of the new covenant, which means all of the responsibility to answer for us rests on him. And yet in him, we have access to this realm that Solomon is tapping into when he's overlaying a throne of ivory with gold. Only our promises are better than that. <laughs> and we're talking about gold value and interfacing realms. I'm not done. I haven't even hit my main point. All of King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold in verse 21 of uh, this passage in 1 Kings chapter 10. The vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver. You know what the silver went to? The servants. The servants ate on silver. <laughs> the Bible says, For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Now, before the absolute explosion, Solomon finished the temple. It was good, and then it got better. Uh, I'm here to tell you that we are to interface the earthly temple with the heavenly temple. <laughs> but since... We're the temple. We are to adorn ourselves with gold through and through. Does this mean, Daniel, that we're supposed to empty our bank accounts and buy blocks of gold? Well, that's a great investment strategy. If you had done that 20 years ago, you'd be sitting pretty pretty right now. Um, but I'm not talking about that. I am talking about actually interacting with heavenly gold. Because what we see as a type and shadow is fully revealed in Christ in the new covenant and his promises. I'm here to tell you that gold can be activated and spoken in the spirit. And it can be spoken over our physical bodies, organs, homes, families, exploits, businesses, churches. There is a revelation in the body of Christ about pleading the blood of Jesus. I teach this. Why? Because when I plead the blood of Jesus over stuff, I recognize that it is a witness to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when I set it up as a witness to the finished work of Jesus Christ, it can stand and block the attacks of the enemy. I have seen it work so many times. I put the blood of Jesus on technology. I put the blood of Jesus on bank accounts. I put the blood of Jesus on my car. I put the blood of Jesus on me, my wife. I mean, it, it goes all over the place. Do, does actual physical blood uh, begin to manifest when, that, when, when I'm doing that? No, no, it's all in the spirit. This is what I'm talking about. When I say you could speak gold over your physical body, organ, home, families, exploits, businesses, and churches, this works. As a matter of fact, my conversation with Ruthie was the revelation that gold can act as a type of Faraday cage in the spirit, and it helps people that are targeted individuals that find themselves getting bombarded by frequency-based weapons. And it is a strategic way to pray that works. <laughs> So I'm here to tell you, it, it, it does that and so much more. As a matter of fact, 
What in the temple did Solomon overlay with gold? Everything. Everything. We should cover our land and property in gold, dedicating the earth that comes into our possession back into the hands of God. One thing that we need to keep in mind is that there is a component of buying gold from God that we will use to adorn ourselves. And it comes through faith, obedience, honor, and engaging with God and his kingdom. Did you know there are prescriptives? The verse I'm thinking about is in Revelation 3.18. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. Huh. The refiner's fire is a place of pain where your character is developed. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.7 that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the genuineness of our faith is actually compared to gold only it is said that it is more precious than the gold that perishes and faith is tested by fire. But we are to buy gold from God that has been refined in the fire. <clears throat> So as we engage God in, in, a, in a lifestyle of uh, repentance and obedience and self-sacrifice and character development and the reception of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? We are buying for ourselves gold. And now as we begin to gather that, we can begin to call it into manifestation and speak it over all the different areas of our lives, our land, our bodies, our this, our that, our what, whatever. And as we do that, we are activating something. Now, I want to talk about something that occurred to me as I was doing all of this study. See, the things that were brought into the temple had all been fully received by David or Solomon. They were already possessed. They weren't putting things in the temple that they didn't own. That they had a, a note of debt on. And, and then I realized this, this unbelievably huge issue. Just like you can't sell a house that is mortgaged without the permission of the bank that owns it, we cannot begin to deed earth over when what we possess on the earth remains owned by Babylon, by international banking systems, while we pay them to hold on to it for us 15 and 30 years at a time. I had a revelation that debt is a global hack 
that prevents the influence of the government of God moving into the earth on an unprecedented scale. Right now, there is so much revelation flowing into the body of Christ, it's nuts. I mean, I sit here and get dumped on every day. It's just like, here's some more revelation, Dan. I'm like, I'm drowning, God. And God's like, it's living water. You can't drown. (laughs) You know, so we have fun. But the, the, the thing is, the powers of darkness have done everything they can to preempt principles that once activated, there is no going back. It's like, oh, what are we going to do about that? So, if the powers of darkness know that one day people are going to figure out that they can begin dedicating things over to God and interfacing land and property with heavenly gold to activate value that will magnetize the wealth of the nations to the body of Christ designed to be the latter temple whose glory will be greater than that of the former, what they do is they bought up everything and (laughs) sold you out (laughs) and made you take liens and loans and debt in order to live while they possessed the world on the back of your pioneering exploits. It's a hack. The banking system of the world is a spiritual hack of unprecedented proportions. And this is not condemnation on people that have a mortgage on their house. I'm pointing something out that over the coming years and decades will be harnessed by certain people that are going to be major movers and shakers in the earth because this is a revelation that is powerful. In order for the sons of God to manifest to creation and to be adorned with, we will be adorned with gold. And we will magnetize value. We will possess land and businesses and even leverage control over entire systems in the earth as we interface them with the government of God. Dedication, overlaying with gold, they go hand in hand. Overlaying of gold is a heavenly strategy to establish interface and to Activate maximum value. Speaking gold over things in the earth activates an interface with heaven. I'm talking revolutionary things. There is so much loaded revelation in the concept of gold as found in the Bible. It's huge. No. Um, But this message isn't going to land well with people that have a poverty mindset either. I'm not even going to address that because you guys, that's your issue. You need some help. If God 
drew the wealth of the nations to ancient Israel after Solomon had overlaid every component of that ancient temple with gold, which was a type and shadow, a latter temple, whose a, a, a former temple whose glory would be less than the latter temple. Just think about how abundant God's plans are for those that step into the reality of Jehovah Jireh. Anyway, backing off from all of that, you know, gold has a lot of applications in the natural. Gold is a conduit or a con conductor. It, it can be used to effectively transfer electricity and digital data. Gold is a biocompatible metal. It can be placed in contact with the body without causing harm to it internally or externally. Not all metals are biocompatible. That's why you get gold fillings and different things. Gold operates um, as a treatment for even some illnesses. It, did you know? that smallpox, skin ulcers, and uh, some cases of arthritis have been treated with gold treatments. Gold is capable of reflecting infrared radiation in space, and gold is a store of value. All of these uh, components of gold find their way into applications that gold can have in the spirit. And you can pray with gold. As a matter of fact, you know, um, I have a short prayer here that I'll share with you that illustrates some of the ways that you can pray with gold as a weapon. I set gold as a protective barrier or a barrier or Faraday cage around any and all seen and unseen, known and unknown receivers, implants, electrodes, planted devices, foreign DNA in my body. I disallow any sent signals to reach their intended targets, including binding all signals from satellites. I bind all algorithms being used to attack my person. I overlay my body inside and out with gold. I apply heavenly gold to my bank account, my business, job or career, and all that is under my stewardship. I declare that gold comes upon and covers everything that I set my hands to. I call for heavenly gold to cover my home. I overlay my marriage with gold and call for my children to be covered with heavenly gold. I furnish my destiny with gold and call my future consecrated to the Lord. I declare that as my life comes under the overlay of heavenly gold, the wealth of the nations are magnetized to me. I declare that I begin to demonstrate value that I was formerly inhibited from demonstrating. It is a false ideology to think that God is more interested in the Illuminati having the trillions of dollars of world's wealth and not the children of light. That is what I call backwards thinking. All right. I promised it was coming. I'm going to get into one more thing and then I'm going to stop talking. I've been talking too long. Um, Plunder. Golly. We need to understand God's agenda to plunder. Wealth transfer is possible during warfare. Remember that we <laughs> are the earthly manifestation of the temple or storehouse of the Lord. Oh, our thinking has been so messed up. You think you're the gum on the bottom of the devil's shoe. God looks at you as his temple and the location of his storehouse on this side of the veil. Ugh. 
So when we do warfare, we are able to plunder the enemy. Not everything held in heaven in, in evil realms is bad. Let me, see, let me say that again. Not everything held in evil realms is bad. Okay? It's not. Things in evil realms are held behind gates in the spirit. Uh, Jesus hints at this concept when he stands in front of Mount Hermon in Caesarea Philippi and establishes the ecclesia. Evil realms housed behind gates have stolen things that hold value. So Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my ecclesia, my church, which is a governing body, not a boring building where boring songs are sung to people that are half asleep. All right, I'm... Ugh. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates don't fight. They lock things in and keep intruders out. When a gate does not prevail against you, it means it can't keep you out or it can't lock you in. In other words, when we are talking about the ecclesia that Jesus Christ established, he's essentially saying what hell has locked up behind its gates that hold value will not prevail. Hell will not prevail in keeping those things out of our possession. He has given us power, authority, and capacity in him to plunder what has been held hostage behind the gates of hell. I'm getting more and more con comfortable with this podcast because I, I think I've chased away most of my haters and, and most of the people that just, you know, like to get their panties in a bunch when I talk big. Uh, in, in the ministry that we do, we liberate soul and spirit parts of people from the regions of Hades all the time. That's one of the realms that's being plundered. Of people's humanity that are Christian seeking deliverance from God and freedom from problems that don't make sense. Pieces of humanity hold great value in the eyes of God and they are being held behind the gates of hell and those gates do not prevail when this Son of God begins to manifest and speaks the word of the Lord. So, what I'm saying is there's all kinds of valuable things behind the gates of hell. Wealth, opportunity, <laughs> destiny, all kinds of things have been locked down behind gates. But they can be plundered. And there is something known as the spoils of war. In other words, sometimes you get a lot more than you bargain for on the back end of a major victory. Exodus 22 verse 2 says, If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. I'll tell you what, when I find the thief breaking in, <laughs> the thief comes to steal. That's what he came to do. But he doesn't have to succeed. And he succeeds with far too many believers because they don't know how to strike him dead. And I'm talking about the devil and his demons. <laughs> we have seen demons uh, relieved of their right to exist because the warfare has become so brutal for them. Uh, you know, 
Um, okay. Isaiah 45 verse 3 says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by name, am the God of Israel. It's a promise to King Cyrus. But all the promises of God are yes and amen, amen, and him to the glory of God through us. Just because it's in the possession of darkness doesn't mean that God doesn't intend for it to be plundered and transitioned. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the just. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 6, is this enough Bible? Proverbs 6.31 says, Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He must give up. He may have to give up all the substance of this house. That, that, that's Proverbs 6.31 and talking about when the thief is caught. So, when we catch the thief or whether we're on assignment to plunder what's behind the gates of evil, we are able to take spoils of war out from the possession of the kingdom of darkness. Some of this is spiritual, some of it's physical, but the spiritual will always lead to a physical grounding out. You plunder enough stuff in the spirit, you will find yourself a very wealthy person in love and life and peace and health and money. God <clears throat> considers certain things held by the evil realms consecrated to him. In other words, they stole what had been dedicated to him. <laughs> that's what he, and that's the entire conversation found in Haggai chapter 2. He said, the gold is mine, the silver is mine. <laughs> Some of the stuff that no longer adorns your temple because it was given away or taken or stolen. It's still, I still consider it mine. <laughs> so now he has a superior temple on assignment to be adorned. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> How else can I say this? When we plunder the enemy, we are able to take gold and silver and brass into the treasury of the Lord. However, since we are the temple of God, we are actually able to possess that which we plunder as we administrate justice. <laughs> what we conquest can be added to us. You know, oftentimes before God elevates a person to great influence over a city, he's going to have them pray for the city, intercede for the city and war over the city. Why? What they plunder is then added to them in influence. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of, the of, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is conquest to be done in the heavens. Ephesians 3.10 says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The, the governing body of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia in the earth, is here to make the manifold wisdom of God known to them. And that includes, hey, you guys are going to suffer great plunder because we're going to take back what you stole. Because you stole stuff that was consecrated to God. There are people 
who are representatives of bloodlines that have been plundered of such great wealth and inheritance, the devil can't possibly think of the implications of you being set free. And so he is fighting you at every step of the way because he is so scared of what your justice and manifestation will mean to him. The devil isn't just scared of losing. He's scared of plunder. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12 says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. If God did it for them under a lesser covenant based on lesser promises, what do you think he can do for us? The book of Joshua, the silver and gold were consecrated unto the Lord and brought into the treasury. And here we see that God is fully interested in plundering the camp of darkness. Okay, And we're talking about the battle of Jericho. It says in Joshua 6, verse 17 to 19, And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, in any wise, keep yourself from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed, when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. There are all kinds of accursed things, idols, demonically charged items, whatever, but, but, verse 19, but <laughs> all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. <laughs> they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. What did Joshua do? He conquested that city and it was plundered and the value was transferred to the children of God. Doesn't it feel good to know that you're on the winning side? I'm done. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. If you would like to connect with us at Bride Ministries or to support what we are doing financially, visit us at www dot bridemovement.com